Welcome to the Antioch Community Church Podcast. We are a church located in the downtown Birmingham area where we desire to be with and like Jesus and help others do the same for the glory of God. We hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Tragedy that was uh, 21 years ago um, when you know, Islamic extremists attacked our country, and you know nearly 3,000 people were killed because of that attack. And, um, and so we, you know, we remember we remember that, um, and we remember just those, you know, the, the first responders who, who gave their lives to save other people's lives. We remember, um, uh, you know, military. That's protected freedom, um, and we also remember our Muslim uh, brothers and sisters and Middle Eastern brothers and sisters who, you know, because of 9/11, have suffered a lot of um, prejudice and um, unjustly so. And uh, we remember them, and so just you know, want to encourage us to remember that today. I think it's one of the best things we can do as the Church of Jesus, um, just to continue remembering that just because someone has is Islamic. Uh, belief system, or if they're Middle Eastern, um, that they're not the enemy just because they may look a certain way or have a certain religion. Um, but, you know, today's also a, uh, a sweet day as well as David prayed um, so beautifully, just re- remembering God's hands. And I, I do want to say that, um, you know, so like today's September 11th, and it's our church's birthday. Why would you start a church three years ago on September 11th? September 11th changes every year, so it's, I actually looked it up, and I was just like, are we going to keep hitting this? And it actually won't happen for another 11 years, so just, you know, just rest assured that it will be, we're around that time frame, but it, it moves, it's not always on a Sunday, so it's actually 2033 is when we'll hit it again when we turn 14, so that's, you know, we're, 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 uh, we're, we're safe until then, um, but, you know, it, it's a big part of, um, a big part of I want to share a little bit before we kind of get into this, and it connects, but a little bit about just kind of my story and also our church's story of kind of what God has done and I think what he's doing and what he, you know, who knows what he wants to continue to do. But um, just uh, just kind of, you know, any one of you, well, first of all, I want to do this too. Um, if you were um, a, a part of that group of people who was in the Hills House when we were house church early on, over three years ago, I would like for you to just stand. If you're still here, I want you just to stand. All right, so I want you to give these people a round of applause. You know, just, they, you guys can be seated. Thank you. You know, they, they're a, a big part of, you know, why this church is here today. But I also want actually everybody else, I want everybody else to stand who's not, uh, who was not part of the house church early on. I want you to stand first. And I want those who were a part of the, the core team early on just to look around and just to see, you know, some of some are first-time guests, and we welcome you, we're glad you're here. Others have been here maybe since kind of right after that period, right when we launched. And then 
you know, people, and there's so many people, just as David mentioned, that have been sent on mission or who've just moved on to the next thing in life. Um, and then there's so many people here that God has brought here. And so we want to thank God for you as well, because you are just as much a part of this church family and what God is doing as anybody else. So give them a round, give yourselves a round of applause. Yeah, there we go. Are right, you guys can be seated. So, um, yeah, just part of, part of my story is, um, you know, I, I, I didn't grow up in the church. And so everybody, I think everybody's kind of trajectory in life, uh, it's almost like God pulls you back like a, like a bow and arrow. And it's like the early days of your life, the formative years, and even more until he's pulling you back and then he kind of shoots you out based on that trajectory. And so a big part of my story, having not grown up in the church is um, just having this, uh, just remembering, really having a vivid um, memory of what it was like to not know Jesus, um, to not care about Jesus, and yet at the same time, have a sense of hopelessness and have no real sense of what to do about that, um, to feel lost but not even have words to describe that, um, to have hopelessness and not really see a way out. And um, it wasn't until a new family moved into our neighborhood just down the block from us, a group in Charlotte, North Carolina, they moved into our neighborhood, and um, just a normal family, nothing like crazy saintly about them. They just were normal people who were following Jesus imperfectly, stumbling after him. But they had a couple of boys that were the same age as me and my brothers, and we got to be friends with them, and their middle son was the same age as me. And so we would always, you know, be at their house. They'd be at our house. And just after a few months of getting to know them, they just invited me to church. So I was like, sure. I mean, I trust, I'm going to trust you enough to hop into your mom's van and go to church and just kind of see what happens. I'll try it once. And so I went and, um, you know, it's looking back on it, it. There's really no way to describe it other than just the Holy Spirit was just beginning to turn my life upside down and inside out. And I just remember just being struck by the love of Christ. I mean, Jesus says that to his disciples and to us, that the world will know you are my disciples. The world will know there's something distinctive about you because of your love, not for even the world, although that's important, but actually, first and foremost, just your love for one another. That is going to be the distinctive quality that's going to set you apart. And I can tell you that that had an impact on me, just the way that there, there was love amongst these people, kids my own age, and I felt that love, and so I wanted to come back, so I did come back, and over the course of that summer, I was going into eighth grade, I, I kept hearing the good news of Jesus through Galatians 5, talking about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, and I was like, man, I see so much of the work of just my ego and my my own broken self, and yet I see all, you know, this part of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all these things that I don't have, and yet I see some other people that are kind of budding some of that fruit, and, and I want that. And so after a few months, I found myself going home one night after Wednesday night church and went into my bedroom and sat down on my little basketball beanbag chair, which is ironic because I'm, I hate basketball. Um, and But that chair is, is great. Um, and I sat down, and, I, you know, I didn't even know that I was becoming a Christian. I just, the Holy Spirit was just convicting me of my sin heard about Jesus, and I was like, I like this guy, and I think he can do something for me, and I think I'm pretty messed up without him, and so I made Jesus my Lord, and I remember opening my eyes, and 
you know, there weren't angels or trumpets, you know, anything like that, but it kind of felt like that was about to happen. Just remember thinking like, and it's just my story, right? This is my, everybody has a different story and no one's story is better than anyone else's, right? This is just my story. But I just remember thinking like, okay, something just changed. And I didn't even know how to describe it. I didn't go to my youth pastor and say, oh, Pastor Ben, you know, I just became a Christian. I'm just, I don't know. I just started coming to church. I don't know. And started praying. I don't know. And, you know, slowly but surely, um, God just started to turn my life around. Now, it's ever since that point onward, it's been, you know, two steps forward, one step back. You know, I don't want to paint any picture that it's like, you know, I just was overnight. I just was this, you know, 12-year-old pastor. Just amazing. Um, and even still, you know, even probably more so now than then. Uh, there's some, I mean, I think there's something, you know, maybe about that, that kind of dynamite power early on, right? It kind of can tend to fade off a little bit over the years and to work to get that back. But um, about a year after, well, one thing that was, this another, it's a longer story, but it's something that's so cool that happened over the course of the next four to five years before I graduated high school. Uh, none, nobody in my family was a Christian at that time. And so I just kind of accidentally found Jesus. Um, accidentally found Jesus. And over the course of the next few years, my younger brother, my older brother and his wife, and my mom and my dad all ended up coming to faith in Jesus. And they all resisted it in their own ways, just like I had before that. And it was this just amazing just invasion of God's grace and presence in my family's life. And that has left a mark on me of like... You know, in the middle of that, I was like, this is just normal. This is what happens all the time. 12-year-old kids just stumble in the church, and then the whole family just gets saved. And, and I, as I've gotten, as I've, and that does happen sometimes, right? But if you look at the studies, you know, all the studies are like, no, it's if the dad doesn't come to church, then there's a really low chance that anybody else in the family is going to follow suit and, and follow Jesus. And, um, and so that's just placed this thing in my heart of like, Lord, I want to see you do that again. And this, again, this is just my story. I'm not saying this is, that's the desire you need to have in your heart, but like for me, there's just this thing inside of me like, Lord, I want to see you do that again. I know you can do it. You did it with me. Random person just stumbles into church and his whole life and family gets turned upside down. I know you can do that. I want to see you do that. I want to see you do that with other people. Who, I mean, if you would have, I debated putting a photo of me up at that age, right, right before meeting Jesus, and it just, you would all just run out and disown anything about me or this church or maybe even Jesus. You'd be like, that is, that kid is hopeless, right? He can turn anybody's life around and do amazing things through imperfect people. And um, about a year after uh, following Jesus, uh, I went on a mission. So I was a freshman in high school and I went on a mission trip to Boston. Um, and one of the things that we did was we worked with a church planter in the kind of center city area. One of the things that we did was just I mean, much like us, you know, we're, we're church in a box, we set everything up, you know, tear everything down, so a lot of setup to do, and so one of the things that we did as a team is we just came in on Sunday, and we just said, hey, let us do setup for you, and let us set up the chairs on that, and so I was, you know, they met in this um, hotel meeting hall, and um, I was up, you know, in the area like this, setting up a, a, a music stand, and as I was doing that, it was just this kind of crystal clear, but silent, internal voice, I don't know what else to describe, just, but this kind of just sense, you're going to do something like this one day. And, you know, I'm, it was really clear that what that was is not, you're going to be like a roadie, you know, like a, you're just going to set up stuff as your, as your job, although I do a lot of that, as many of us do here. Um, but I, you're going to have some role in starting churches, or 
really starting a church. And you know, I'm a freshman, I'm a, I'm a baby, I'm a baby Christian. Um, but that sense, that seed was planted and over the years, God just began to continue to grow that and to develop that um, up until, you know, and one thing during that whole period is like, Lord, whatever this looks like, um, I, I know, I mean, really, it was, it was kind of fun in this period of like over the years as, as I grew and as that calling kind of clarified, but just um, telling Jesus what he was going to do. You know, that's always a really fun thing to do. Basically, I mean, like I've said this before, if you, whatever you tell him to do and not to do, he's going to do the opposite. So if you want to do a little like reverse psychology on Jesus and end up, you know, living in like Hawaii or the Bahamas or something like that, just tell him you really don't want to go there. Um, and that's where you're going to end up. Because I told him like, Lord, the one place that I'm not going to go because there's a church on every corner in that part of the world, unlike every other part of the world, is the South. I just was like, obviously, Lord, you don't need another church here. It's like oversaturated, you know? And I was, you know, from a family of non-Christians, Lord, like I'll go to, you know, I, I, sent, I kind of sense it was North America. I didn't sense an international calling on my life. It's like, Lord, whatever other corner of the country where there's, you know, all the pagans and heathens, you know, outside of the, outside of the, the bubble of the South, right? All those lost people out there. Oh, well, you know, we'll go there. Allie and I, our family, we'll go there. And I also told the Lord that I knew it was going to be when I was, you know, about mid-30s, 35. I'm still not 35. So it happened a lot earlier. And it happened, I'll let you guess how old I am. Um, it happened a lot earlier. And it happened in the very place where I told God he didn't need another church. And um, fast forward all the way up to 2018. Um, Allie and I have been married for a few years. We're living here in Birmingham. I was the college pastor at our, what is now our sending church in Vestavia, Shades Mountain Baptist Church. And at the end of 2017, both Allie and I were like, we just started talking, we're like, we, we both have this really just strong discontentment with where we are in life. And that's either this kind of youthful, the grass is greener. Can anybody relate to that? Grass is greener somewhere else, some other job some other place, some other ministry, some other church, and we're just thinking, okay, either it's that, we need to repent of that, or maybe God is trying to get our attention with something that he is doing. It's kind of, maybe it's a holy discontent, not an unholy. So we, the beginning of 2020, uh, sorry, 2018, um, in January, we're just, we're like, let's just start praying really specifically about this, this discontentment. And um, three months into that, we kind of like somewhat randomly ended up at a conference in Washington State about something we just were exploring, we were curious about called collegiate church planting, which is where you start churches on or near college campuses that, you know, reach, um, you know, primarily students, but also the city as well, whatever that city looks like. And so we're at this conference, and um, it's a small conference, maybe like 40 people, and, and you know, one of the sessions, I don't remember what they're talking about, and Allie and I are sitting at like this six-foot table next to each other, and that same kind of thing happened that I, when I was like standing, you know, at, a, at the uh, music stand when I was a freshman in high school. Just this clear, distinct, but internal, silent kind of sense and voice that said, plant a church at UAB. I was like, I don't like that. Because that's literally the last, that is within the, the, the no plant zone. That's in the no go zone, all right? So I don't know what that was, but I'm like, I didn't hear that. And listening to whatever this guy was talking about and within 60 seconds Allie had jotted something down in her notebook 
and passed it to me and said, I, I feel like we're going to plant a church at UAB. And I looked at it, I was kind of like, oh, crap. I was like, all right, we should probably talk after this. I think God might be answering our prayers, unfortunately. And we had never, I mean, we really, we, we were like, oh, man, you know, we're going to start, we're gonna, God's going to take us to Brooklyn or L.A. or Seattle. And it's like, you want us to stay in Birmingham? Like, all right. So we'll just, we'll start praying about that, I guess. And so we, we did and just really quickly began to realize, that, okay, God's doing something. And this, you know, that's oftentimes how you know it's, it's God. It's, it's a spirit maybe speaking something small or oftentimes it's not big kind of directional thing. It's just something small, but it's just something completely out of left field that maybe you don't even like and you know that's not how you normally think. It's a good sign it might be the Holy Spirit. And um, so we came back to our, our church and we're like, look, we weren't expecting this, but we, we think God's doing something. We like, you know, like, we think he is too. And so we just kind of t- kept taking the next step and um, by January of the next year, some of the people that stood up that were part of the core team and a few others were a part of this thing that was going to start the church. And we took it really literally. We, we both felt like God really clearly said UAB. And so we're like, we are going to start a church at UAB. So we actually met in the rec center. We just took it really literally. We met there for six months and then COVID happened. And, you know, we've like just gotten started and then like this, you know, tsunami kind of comes and just like sweeps us away. And I'm like, wow, that, that was a cool run you know see you guys later and um we're meeting on you know on, online for six months and then we're like all right let's get back together and i'm like i don't know if anyone's even gonna still be around and so we start meeting at this park in the city george ward park and god began to do some really amazing things there as he began to show us kind of concentric circle two it's like he said look kevin like i know you know you you don't really have your capacity is maybe kind of low, so I'm just going to give you a little bit. I'm going to give you, like, little baby step one. But actually, there's a whole lot more I have for you in this church. So what we begin to see is, okay, we got this, you know, one foot planted on the campus, and then COVID kind of threw us up in midair, and now we plant this other foot in the city. And then as we began to kind of bounce back from COVID, we began to see, okay, God, I, I think you actually have this really balanced thing you're wanting to do where you've called us to this place where it's not just the city and it's not just the campus, it's both. But you want us to be a church for the campus and for the city. Um, and I, I say all that to say just to, you know, hopefully encourage you a little bit about just, um, I think what, just the fact that God is doing something um, in our midst and he, he continues to do things and he will continue to do that. But it also just somewhat conveniently fits with a little bit of where we're going in this series, um, as it is in heaven. And um, well, we just started this two weeks ago, and then my family and I had COVID last week, and so we paused the series, um, and we're picking it up today. But this series, as it is in heaven, the purpose of the church, is looking at what is God's purpose for the church? What is it? And how does it fit with this bigger picture thing that we looked at in week one of the kingdom, which is actually what Jesus talks about all the time. Over a hundred times the gospels mention kingdom. I mean, it's kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. And so we, we, we talk about that, about how what that means is that is what the world looks like, what your life looks like when King Jesus gets his way. When you're off the throne of your life, 
when you're off the throne of your, your, your school life, your work life, your family life, and Jesus is on the throne, and you're bowing down to him, and he's getting his way, that's what the kingdom looks like. But then Jesus also talks about the church, but only twice. And so to me, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting that what Jesus is all about is the kingdom, and yet for some reason, kind of what we're all about is the church. And so how do those two things fit? Um, and that's what we're looking at today in Matthew um, 16, 13 through 20. We're actually really going to just focus in on one verse there in the middle, verse 18. Um, so look with me in Matthew 16, verse 18. This is Jesus replying to Peter, who has just answered Jesus's question correctly. Jesus says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they're like, oh, some people think he's John the Baptist, or, you know, think you're Elijah, blah, blah. And he's like, all right, yeah, but, all right, so now, now who do you say that I am? And then Peter blurts out um, in verse 16, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. So he acknowledges Jesus as this long-awaited Messiah who was going to come and to do for mankind what we could not do for ourselves, which is fix what we broken, fix what we broke, fix the things that we have, um, you know, degraded by our sin and our rebellion against him. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's a really, I think, a really helpful mental picture that I want to kind of introduce to you guys, and we'll probably revisit a little bit over the next couple of weeks throughout the series. And so I'm going to throw it up on, on this, this, uh, this slide, throw it up on the screen, this vineyard. Um, so this is a wine vineyard. So you've got these grapes here. But if you notice, um, you've got this trellis. So you've got this pole here, you've got some wire and some string here. And what this trellis does is it gives organization to something that's organic. So the kingdom is this organic thing. The way that Jesus beautifies your heart and communities and the world, that is something kind of intangible and a little bit abstract, but nonetheless real and organic. It just kind of happens. But then God had this idea to not just let grapes grow wild on the ground, which they can, um, but when they do, they oftentimes will get stunted and kind of ingrown, and they, they can't flourish freely like they can when you just prop up a little pole and put some, some wire on it and allow the vines to begin growing on that trellis. All of a sudden, because it can stand up now, this no less organic thing with just some structure can just, you know, multiply like crazy, much more than it could just, if it's just laying up. You won't go to any, you know, vineyard, um, you know, 
that's trying to grow grapes for wine and just and not see a trellis. You're gonna see just lines and lines and lines and lines of those things so that this organic thing can grow. That's the that's the picture I want to introduce to you guys of I think the relationship of the church to the kingdom. The church is like the trellis. It's got this structure that we have a lot of freedom to kind of express in different cultures and in different times, but there's also very, very um, basic things that we can really kind of post in the ground and put wires up on. One of those is just not forsaking the assembling of yourselves, that we can stir one another up to love and good deeds. So there's this, even in that, there's this regular, we gather on the Lord's day, the Sunday, the day he resurrected, you know, he, he's, he's starting this new week with his new life. And so we follow the, the pattern of the early Christians. We meet on Sundays. And then as we'll get into um, in the coming weeks, the way that, that the New Testament lays out for the church to fit together and the role that everybody plays, the role that leaders play, the role that members play, and how those things fit together. But today what we're looking at is specific role that Jesus plays, the specific and central, as we say, role that Jesus plays in this thing of the kingdom, this, that's, that's the good fruit, right, the kingdom, Jesus's rule of love and hope and peace and justice, that is the good fruit that, that I want to taste that you want to taste, that the world wants to taste. And that gets propped up and is sustained through the ages through this organization that Jesus has in mind called the church. And, you know, Jesus is really clear in verse 18, um, something that I think if we can just latch on to this, it, especially in our day and age with, I mean, I don't, I don't know, maybe it's just me because I am a pastor, but maybe it's everybody, I don't know, um, just hyper aware of, of how many pastors are, are failing out, how many churches are crumbling under, you know, um, oppressive pastors who are not leading in the way of Jesus. And um, just honestly, it feels like there kind of is a crisis in the West, in the church, when it comes to just pastors knowing how to do what they're supposed to do in a way that feels like Jesus. And in churches, knowing what to look for in leaders and in pastors. And those two things going together. So I want to, you know, kind of draw some things out from that. Um, Jesus is really, really clear. It says, on this rock. So, so Peter, your confession, not Peter isn't the rock. But your confession ultimately of me. Anytime that word rock is used, Old and New Testament, it always refers to God. Nobody else, nothing else, always refers to him. So you can almost see Jesus interact with Peter. He says, um, I tell you, you are Peter. Kind of like just spelling it out for him. You're Peter. I'm the rock. You almost kind of see like, you're Peter. He didn't say, and on you, I'm going to build my church. On any person but on this rock, on me, and on your understanding of who I am. One of the, the cool things, you do a little bit of historical uh, study on this passage, Caesarea Philippi, um, you, you, see, you can see the word Caesar in there. 
right? So this is, this is uh, a place that was under the rule of uh, one of the Caesars who kind of set up this rule. Um, and there was a lot of um, king worship going on. There was a lot of worship of other gods going on. And Jesus goes to this city. And in the middle of that city is where he says, who do you say that I am? In the face of a, of a city that bows down to all these other kings and idols and gods. And Peter says, you're the Christ. And he says, on that rock, in a place even like Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, um, I will build my church. Now, you think about, okay, so Jesus built a church. Where's his church building? It's like, does he have a church building? Is that a thing? He'd say he's going to build a church. Well, obviously, no, right? We, we oftentimes will think of the church as we associate it with the building. And there's a, it's nice to have a roof. You know, we've done church before where we, we didn't have walls, and it's, it's not really all that comfortable um, And when you're outside of the elements. And so it's good to have, but the church it literally is a word that means assembly. But that's all that the word means. Early, early on, it actually was not, um, it was not a really religious word at all. It was a word just of the time that just meant an assembly of people for, for any reason, really. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my assembly of people my community of people, I'm going to build them on this rock of, of me and your proper understanding that I am the Christ. And even the gates of hell when I be able to prevail against it. Now, I want to talk briefly about, I think, a, a couple of the different... So if Jesus is the ruler, if every church is an expression of the capital C church, and he is the ruler, he is the owner, he is the designer and builder and the empowerer of it, then what are maybe some of the, the, the different leaders or rulers that, that maybe we put into place that actually can tear down the trellis and actually really slow down the growth of these organic fruit? I think one is... Um, kind of instead of Jesus ruled, it can be, uh, any church can be tempted to become world ruled or cultural, culture ruled in that, um, and it's, it's very tempting because, you know, you want to maybe reach people far from Christ that are outside the church, and yet it's possible to, to kind of bow down to whatever this, the, the culturally sensitive things of the day and give up on truth give up on the very things that actually give Jesus and the gospel and the Bible, the Bible its power and its punch. So it's easy to do that, and it's, it's very easy to kind of be lured away into progressive theology that you know, lets go of the central truths of who Jesus is in the Bible and kind of acquiesces to the cultural moment of the time. And if we do that, well, now we're handing the world the church, and it's not... The trellis is going to break down, and the grapes are going to have trouble growing. But I think another leader that we can place to lead the church is just ourselves, just the me monster. Right? I want I want everything my way. I want everything to be done the way that I want it to be done. I want every little you know amenity to to fit my preference. I didn't like that song. I don't like. Like how they do this or that. Now, there's certain things that you know that's totally valid. I think mean, that's why God gifts, you know, 
places like us in the world, so many options. Um, but especially when you become a member, you just kind of own, like, look, this is, no church is perfect, um, and I'm just going to stick with it. But it's easy to kind of place yourself at, like, what can you do for me? What can the leaders do for me? What can the staff do for me? What can the people here do for me? And you become a leader. Even just if silently in your own heart. Where it just becomes about you and what you can consume and how it can benefit you. But then I think even more prevalent than that, if there's anything that, that is really maybe going to affect us more in our time and in our place in the world, is re- replacing Jesus as the leader with the pastor as the leader. And some of you are like, no, absolutely not. Like, I know you. I would never do that, right? But there is, I think there's a sense that all of us have a tendency to want a king. Just like Israel, they wanted a king. They wanted somebody who could lead the charge and, and give them what they wanted and take them where they, they wanted to go. And it can be so easy to raise expectations of pastors. I'm not just talking about myself, any pastor. I mean, I think you can apply that to, you know, even like a podcast or, or another a pastor you've never met, but you listen to their sermons or someone on YouTube, someone you respect with kind of some spiritual authority. Um, and you can, you can put them on a pedestal. You can raise expectations of them to a, to a degree that they were never designed to actually uphold. Now, the New Testament's really clear that, you know, that pastors, in particular elders, are held to a higher standard. And there are certain things that, you know, have to be above reproach in how we live our lives. But at the same time, this church is not my church. Any church, and now, and it's okay, like, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, especially bigger, maybe more well-known churches, like, well, it's, you know, it's so-and-so's church, or so-and-so's church by the name of the pastor, and that's, that's fine, but I think there's, there's, there's a distinction here that is healthy for everybody to really understand. It's, it's healthy for pastors to understand that this is not my church. I want to go back to that, that amazing story I told you about how God called me and my wife to do this amazing thing in front of this church, right? And you can think, well, wow, this is, this is their church, and we, we're, you know, God's doing something with them. It's like, no, not really. This actually wasn't even my idea. That's kind of the beautiful thing about the story. It's really, I, I, it's none of it, I, I didn't even want to do this. I love it now, but at first I was like, okay. You know, it's Jesus' church. And, and, and I want to just kind of speak to that a little bit because it is so easy for me to, I have my, you know, I have my, my pastors, people that pastor me, quote unquote, people I listen to, people I read, and it can be so easy to expect them, and you can project that onto me or other people, I don't know who it is, it might be me, it might be other people, but project this sense of like, basically this person's your savior, expecting me to be Jesus for you. And the, you know, the, the, the amazing thing is, um, because of Jesus, you don't need a priest. You don't need, you don't need any other leader to get to Jesus. You have the same direct access to him that I or any other person has. I will not be able to fix everything. I'm not going to know everything. Um, I can't be everywhere at all times. But you know what? There is somebody who can. 
There is somebody who can actually fix everything. There is someone who can be everywhere at all times. There is someone who actually knows everything. First Peter 5 puts it like this. shepherd. Now, shepherd, we all know, deals with sheep. But actually, the word for pastor is just the Latin rendering of shepherd. So I think a way for, we could modernize it for our ears is when the lead pastor appears. When the senior pastor appears. And that's not me. And that's not any other pastor that you know. At best, I am just middle management. I, I am an under-shepherd. I am an under-pastor. If, if I can put it just as clear as this, Jesus is your pastor. Now, does God design, you know, an organization in the church for there to be people that he gifts and calls and equips to also come under Jesus and, and shepherd and guide and actually a responsibility that we all have, myself included. If the trellis is going to be set up properly, then we all need to see Jesus is, he is the Lord. He is the senior pastor. So I want to, um, I want to kind of just draw out a couple practical uh, implications before we, before we close this. I do want to bring a little bit of clarity. We'll get more into it next week. Because next week is where we're going to look at what the Bible calls elders. And we'll look at the role of elders in the church. But I want to kind of just briefly mention it because you're like, all right, so what do you do then? You know, like, I think it's a little bit like this, maybe. Okay, It's, it's almost like if you, and kind of track with me a little bit, it's almost like if you called your doctor your healer. It's like, yeah, okay, I mean, no, not really. Like, ultimately, God is your healer, but yeah, that person is playing a role in that, right? It's kind of like that. Um, but I want to put another image up on the screen, this painting by Matthias Grunewald. It's, I mean, it, you, I mean it, you can see it well enough, even with kind of the, the washed out light a little bit. This is a painting done in the 1500s. 
And it's a painting about the ministry of John the Baptist. It was this guy with funny beard, funny hair, right here. And if you notice anything in this picture, what pops out to me is people's hands. Testament unfolds and Acts. I mean, Peter is not the, the center of this. Now, he, he's one of the first guys, but about halfway through Acts, he just disappears. He's not like the guy. It's not like he's the one with the keys and he's at the pearly gates waiting. You know, he's going to like let you in or not. You know, that's not what this is saying. What this is saying is, I'm going to give you what it's going to take for people to be able to get in. Which, what the Bible tells us about what it takes to get in is faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. That's the keys. And, and that's the role that you get to play. I'm going to leave it up here. This is your role too. This is your role too. We all have the keys, quote unquote. We all have the ability to unlock for people by, by telling and modeling and loving and obeying Jesus. Right. It's 
my flesh and drink my blood. Morbid as it sounds, you know, take the very thing that's going to give you life and energy. Let that be me because actually I am the only thing that's going to give you life and energy. Not only in the hereafter, but here, now. So come to me. Feast on me. We're so glad you joined us today. If you would like to stay connected with us, visit our website at antiochbhm.com, where you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like to speak with someone about what was shared today, please email us at info at antiochbhm.com. Go in peace.